Welcome to The Healthy Beast. In this episode, I'm talking to Alice McIntosh. She's a nutritional therapist. What she doesn't know about food is not worth knowing. She's got loads of really interesting stuff to say about eating, not just to make you healthy, but to make you happy as well, because you've got to be both. I hope you enjoy it. Okay, so we're on. Alice McIntosh, thanks very much for speaking to me. Pleasure, nice to be here. So in your lovely clinic in Chelsea. Now, how I found you, I was looking for a nutritionist basically because I got to this stage of my life having, I guess, always taken an interest in nutrition, but now I've got to this point where I've got kids and I'm thinking I actually want to be around long enough to hopefully see when they have kids and stuff so it's become not an obsession but I think I eat pretty well and I also dangerously think I know about nutrition whereas all I really know is kind of bits you pick up here and there and someone tells you something I've got no training I don't really know anything so it's really a mission to find out a little bit more and also what really interested me and what you had to say was the link between not just nutrition, the food choices you make, but why you make them and how happy that makes you feel and the link yeah. between mood. And this is something you seem to have talked about quite a lot. Yeah, I mean, I come at it from all sorts of angles, really. And I think it's it, there's so much information online. I mean, you would know and it can be really confusing and I think it becomes a real battle for people. Shall I tell you a bit about my background? Yeah, that would be great, because you, yeah. you, you were a scientist before, right? So. Well, yeah, well, scientist. I mean, I wasn't always sort of wearing a lab coat <laughs> sort of all of my 20s or anything like that. I wanted to be a doctor, actually. That was what I wanted to do at school, and I worked very hard to pick all the right A-levels to go and do medicine. I got a place to do medicine, actually. But it just wasn't really going to be right for me. I just had this feeling that it wasn't really what I wanted to do. And I think I actually would have struggled to be a doctor. So I made the right decision. I decided to do biomedical sciences instead. Same sort of thing. And I loved that. Did a a three-year degree in that. And as I got towards the end of it, I sort of thought, what next? And I'd always had an interest in food and nutrition and I this the idea back then you know sort of 15 years ago the idea that you could sit down with someone and tell them what to eat to help them feel better was so interesting to me and I took the leap and did another three-year degree and then went straight on to be a nutritionist after that so I it was actually my first job which is quite unusual for nutritionists so it's it's been my only career um, and I've been very lucky from that perspective is there a quick path if you haven't done a science degree before like if I wanted to become one because I think it's one of those professions that obviously they're very good ones, but in my profession is guilty, journalism is guilty of, I think, treating nutrition without the proper respect. So mm-hmm. it's like, you must find it frustrating sometimes. This is good for you, this is bad for you, this is good for you, this is bad for you. It's a certainly a very personal question at the moment and has been over the last like five years or so because there have been lots of people claiming to be nutritionists. And, mm. and actually, in fact, anyone can call themselves a nutritionist. Oh, can they? Yeah. Right. So you can do a two month course online and be a nutritionist. I'm actually a registered nutritional therapist and my governing body get quite protective over that because, you know, other people can just call themselves a nutritionist and it is very different. You know, I've done a three-year degree in it. That being said, you can do quicker courses. You can do two-year diplomas. It kind of depends what you want to do with it. I'm a practitioner. I work with people one-on-one and I help people with health conditions that can be quite serious and you know you really need to know what you're doing if you want to do that whereas if you want to give more general advice or 
do it alongside being a PT, for example, which is what a lot of PTs do. They go and learn how to do nutrition on the side. Personal trainers. Personal trainers, yeah. They they might want to be able to advise their clients on general eating habits. You can go and learn how to do that. So it kind of depends what you want to do with it. So what would be an example of someone who had something serious that needed addressing? Yeah, so, well, I see people for all sorts of reasons. It can be as simple as I just want to have a bit of an MOT and make sure I'm eating all the right things and make sure I have my energy levels stay up. I do a fair bit of that. But also it can go from anything from that to a bit of weight management. Weight management is not my favourite thing, I have to be honest, because it's so much in the mind that it is, as a nutritionist, I think, often you need the support of a psychologist alongside it. But I do see lots of people for weight. I just don't sort of specialise in that area as much. I do a lot of things like IBS, so um, digestive problems. I see a lot of people for fertility issues or hormonal imbalances. I see lots of people for skin problems like acne, eczema, dermatitis, psoriasis. I see a lot of people for mood issues, anxiety, depression, not sort of severe mental health problems. I see people who aren't sleeping well, who are stressed. And then it goes down to sort of, you know, autoimmune conditions, people suffering from really complicated things that they just can't get to the heart of. Often it's not just one thing, you know, they might have long term immune problems and serious energy problems and fatigue and they might be super stressed and they might have digestive problems as well. So so there's so much that it can help with it. There's a piece of the puzzle in terms of how to make yourself well. And how long would you work with people? It does vary enormously depending on the person and what they want and you know what their objectives are. But typically for someone who's got, say, acne, for example, so you know it's not life-threatening, but it's it's really affecting them and it's an issue that they've had for a long time. I might see them a few times over the first four months and then less after that. But some other people I might see them for a lot longer. It depends what they want to do. If it's for weight loss, often you're seeing people for a little bit longer. With people with serious conditions, are there often certain foods you need to cut out? Or is it so specific things they need to do, or are you kind of getting them towards a generally more healthy diet? It's very personalised, and that's really the key to what my approach and as a nutritional therapist's approach. Everyone needs different suggestions. Everyone needs it needs to, first of all, practically fit with their lifestyle. So if you say to someone who doesn't like cooking and has to cook for a family of five, and it has to be, you know, how are you going to get someone who cooks for a big family, lots of children and so on, who may be on a budget to cut gluten? It's That's going to be quite difficult for them. So you might have to find a way around that if that's something that they might need to do. Everyone needs something different. I would never say that everyone needs to cut out something. Some people might need to reduce their intake of, say, dairy, but not everyone. And it is much more about just getting the fundamentals in place quite often. And then if someone's not showing improvements to their particular condition, then you might think about other things they need to cut out, yeah. The approach that I would take is work out the underlying imbalances that's contributing towards someone's problems. So like skin is another good example, but if someone's got eczema, just putting cream topically on the eczema, it's treating the symptoms, but it's not necessarily getting to the underlying mm. cause of the problem. So that would be what I would do. I would say, right, what's going on internally that's leading to this problem? and that can be different for everyone. So you've got to work out what that person needs. Do you find you get a sense from looking at people what they may or may be lacking or what they may be doing wrong nutritionally? Uh, Is it one of those things where you sometimes. can't stop working? You know, you look at someone... <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know. I take an example from my profession. Like, I can't read anything now without... <laughs> yeah, you're ruined. Without, ...without correcting it in my head. You know, it, so it's kind of... Because I've spent so long writing and editing... Mm as a job 
you can't stop doing it. So yeah. I'm, you know, I'm on holiday reading a novel <laughs> and I'm sort of thinking, oh, I could do with a comma in there. It's maddening. So yeah. I don't know if it does that same thing where it bleeds into the rest of your life. It, it has the potential to, that's for sure. And you kind of have to keep a hold on that. I think when you first become a nutritionist, it's very overwhelming. It can be quite scary, actually. You read some research and it's like, gosh, you know, we really should all be doing this. But then as you sort of work with more people and you do more research yourself and you see what works in clinic it becomes a little bit more you 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 temper those things i think right Um, so i would say personally for me when i became a nutritionist i was quite sort of gosh you know we need to really all be doing this and i would become a bit of those people on a you know people at dinner party standing on a soapbox and now (laughs) now um i I definitely am not like that i'm much more relaxed so you've done it for long enough that you can yeah but I do, I do sometimes bit. look at people and I think, gosh, a person might not be looking after themselves in the best way. Yeah, yeah. But not, you, you know, it's not definitive like that. And you, you, know, you don't know until you see, speak to them and you talk to them and you test them. I do a lot of testing yeah. as well. And so you, you have to be... So you talk to them about what they eat? Yeah. So we've got a food diary kind of thing yeah. to do with people. Yeah, we do food diary. You know, the food diary is very interesting for me, but it's often more interesting for the client because how often do people write a food diary? And you don't often realise what you're shoveling into your mouth. I think people are in <laughs> denial, I think, yeah. about what they eat. Mm. It's that thing of not people say don't eat standing up because I think people think oh yeah. it doesn't it doesn't count yeah, on a plane, <laughs> if, I, if I stand yeah. it out eat yeah. it out in the fridge it doesn't count yeah the minute you hit an airport it doesn't count or something you know when you're yeah. in the sky and when you're walking it doesn't count oh yeah because you're burning it off as you yeah, walk and not yeah. true it, <laughs> definitely not true but I think we um, we're busy we're busy we're on the go we eat on the go in this country we don't sit down to eat meals often mindfully we're eating at our desks this is a huge generalisation of course but if you're doing those things, you're often not realising what's... Or when you're cooking, you're often sort of tasting things, eating things, snacking on things. And, you know, before you realise it, actually, you've not really realised exactly what you've eaten. And so that, that can be a bit of an education for people just in itself. So, yeah, so just writing it down and seeing mm, it in black and white yeah, what you eat. Yeah, And then, of course, I would ask them about their, their health history. So that would be very important to know how they've been throughout their life health-wise. Did they have a time where they had to have lots of surgery because of a knee issue and have their issues got worse since then or Mm. something, you know, you're looking for things throughout that person's life that might have led to where they are now. And do you find it's kind of changed how you approach your own health? Because do you get nutritionists that eat badly? Is that that a thing? Oh, I'm sure, yeah. Well, certainly from my perspective, I would say that I'm, as far as they go, I'm quite a relaxed nutritionist. Right. I, my clients are busy on the go, whether that's being a busy mum or whether that's having a busy job or whether they have to travel for work or whether they're, you know, they're people that are, they're often sort of living that kind of lifestyle, I guess, where they're going to have a drink and yeah. they're going to have to socialise with work and they also want to travel and eat local food. And I think you have to be understanding all those things. If I told a guy, you know, working in an office where the sort of the culture is to have burgers on a Friday that he needs to go vegan, then, I mean, I never tell someone to go vegan anyway, but, you know, he's not going to do that. You've got to be real, quite realistic about what people are going to do. And I, I sort of say, right, well, if you're going to have to socialise with work because you work in sales four times a week and you're going to have to drink alcohol, then that's just, you know, and that's not going to change. Then what can I do to, to sort of work with you on that? How can we, how can mm. we work around it? So I guess... 
I'm, I'm quite understanding of that side of things. And I, in, in my own life, I, I would say I sort of stick to the 80-20 rule, really, which is I eat well 80% of the time and then 20% of the time I enjoy myself. But I might go on holiday and it might be more like the other way around. 20-80. Yeah. I'll do the 20-80 diet, yeah. So I suppose I, I'm, I try to keep balance in, in terms of what that means to me. Balance means different things to different people. But I, you know, I have the odd drink. I eat a bit of sugar. I have dessert. I cook food that tastes good. I didn't steam everything, I use some oil, I use lots of flavour, but I do tend to eat well. The fundamentals of my diet are good, yeah, for the most part. Okay, and you mentioned sugar. Do you think sugar gets too hard a time or not hard enough time, considering what you know about its effects? Yeah, well, it's an interesting one. I mean, I think it all sort of culminated a couple of years ago, didn't it? All of a sudden, it was January about two years ago where this sudden kind of sugar became en- public enemy number one mm. and all of a sudden people it became everyone was, was becoming aware of the fact that sugar might have be having a bad impact on us and in a way i do it's a shame in a way but i i do sometimes think that it needs that real let's bring this to light and really talk about it and sometimes it can be quite scary when you do that but it sometimes needs that kind of statement to make people sit up and listen because I do speak to some clients and they really are eating sugar all day. Mm. And I speak to some people, not not just in, in a clinic scenario, but you talk to people all the time as a nutritionist and it's quite scary how much they're reliant on sugar. So mm. for those people, yeah, they really need to make some changes. I think that we don't want to become too obsessive about things and too clean eating about things because as we know from the following year, there was a bit of a backlash against being super in, in inverted commas clean and the, and the dangers of that so I think it's about it's this word balance which drives me mad in a way because I swore I'd never be one of these nutritionists that talks about balance but I don't think people need to be terrified of having a little bit of sugar in their mm. diet now and then and it's your ch- child's birthday and it's ch- cakes in the offices and it's you know it's fine but it's it's the sort of long-term impact of having it all the time where you need to be mindful you mentioned before about eating clean and a backlash. Yeah. Is is there something wrong with eating clean? So, because I understand it in the one sense, it's it's okay to have a bit of sugar, right? Yeah. It's not gonna, it doesn't harm you if you have the odd cake here and there. But if you don't eat bad things, because I didn't see this thing about the backlash against eating clean. This all happened about a year ago, I suppose. It suddenly became in the public awareness that there were lots of, and there still are, and it is a huge problem. Um, young, particularly young women, but also young men, suffering from orthorexia. I don't know whether you've heard of this. Mm. So orthorexia, mm. this obsession with eating well. I mean, it's sort of like masking an eating disorder, but mm. rather than not eating, it's just you won't eat anything that isn't help, helping or supporting your body or good for you. And I suppose what got coined, whether it was rightly or wrongly, there was this clean eating was a bit of a hashtag and people just used to talk about oh yeah eat clean train lean kind of thing yeah and they didn't i don't think they meant it in a bad way but all of a sudden it became right well actually when you think about it that and that therefore suggests that all these other foods are dirty Mm. we shouldn't be having them and that they're bad and that they're going to harm us and it became there was a bit of a backlash against the clean eating movement Mm. and um i think that a lot of people had to sit up and listen and and i suppose it's quite the question for me is whether it's actually unhealthy to eat clean, yeah. or whether it's just that certain people have done extreme 
dieting that's unhealthy for other reasons so for example yeah. it used to be a thing when I was growing up that and it still is in some places that fat's bad for you, you know, this yeah. was what it was you know girls particularly yeah. when I was growing up would eat like zero fat yeah. diets yeah. to try yeah. now we know I think you can yeah. back me up on this that that's a terrible idea yeah. that you yeah. need fat yeah. and if you just and they were and what were they replacing it with a lot of the time they're replacing yeah. it with you know yeah. you still see I've seen it recently I've seen biscuits advertising themselves as low fat yeah, and you look at it. There's no, there's no yeah. fat in there, yeah. but there's, it's yeah. almost entirely sugar yeah. and then some flavouring. Yeah, I mean, we should talk about that. But I mean, on the when it comes to people, it it it's really comes back to what works for you because if you are eating healthily and you you are loving it and you genuinely don't have a problem with never putting anything bad in your body it's not a, and it's not becoming an obsession it's not becoming something that's dominating your life dictating your decisions and it's keeping you up at night well then fine then i you know not yeah that, if you're going if yeah. you're going a bit crazy on it but, again that's it's a but, problem in itself yeah. i suppose it's a question for me is whether it's because those are other factors but is that bit of sugar is it not just not harming you is it actually making you more healthy Maybe it makes you happier for well, a bit. Yeah, and that's, so and that's, exactly, a, that's sort of, not to be ignored. Yeah, happy. And, and I think there's a lot to be... Well, there's a... You know, talking about people living longer, the sort of eating in a group, eating socially, enjoying food, there's a lot to be said for the, the mental and so mm. social impacts that, that has on you. And the psychological, I suppose, impacts and, and sort of the, 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 the family setting and, and what that does for your health long-term. Whether that, if that means there's a bit of ice cream involved, then I really, yeah. you know, there's no science to back this up. I am not sort of. No, but I think but, we ignore our happiness at our peril, you yeah. know. And I think if you're if you're going home miserable and yeah. you've missed out on important social things, yeah. that's not that's not a small consideration. If you, fear, if you fear foods, I think as well that that may not be the best way to be. Mm. So if you're finding someone that eats. Eats, the, eats very, very healthily 100% of the time, there's no 20%, you know, then, and they're fine with that and they're happy with that and they don't see there's any problems with that, then that, that it, that's fine. But if you find someone that where it is becoming a problem in their life and they are becoming too controlling and anxious, then that might be, a, that might be something to be thinking about. And I think that was what the clean eating movement sort of done and it, people needed to be a little bit more relaxed about their general eating habits mm. and not fear a piece of cake on someone's birthday too much yeah for me I never want to be that person mm. you know but then if you work in big offices as I've done yeah it's always someone's birthday exactly it's all yes. I mean you know it's always someone's birthday someone's and so every, holiday so, and yeah, every so every day someone's walking around with cake and then yeah. you've got to make a decision do I eat cake every day in addition to what other bad things. Yeah, this is where you have to work out what, what balance really means because mm. I don't think, uh, when when people first start thinking about when this sort of sugar stuff all came in, I think people looked at their diets and they realised, gosh, actually, I am eating a piece of cake or biscuits every afternoon and I am having a couple of teaspoons of sugar in my tea. And actually that would, to me, as a nutritionist point of view, that would be considered to be actually quite a lot. But one piece of cake on a Friday afternoon I mean, we're using the cake and you know, or, or Saturday afternoon lunch with your family and a dessert. Not, not so much of an issue. <laughs> so, you're, is the most important thing? You're really doing the numbers. You're looking at this is all the food you're eating in a week. This much of it is bad overall. 
okay and then yeah I mean I, when, when people come to see me as well we are trying to get on top of their health problems so you mm. know if someone has serious energy problems and they're getting real blood sugar dips then we might at first need to be a little bit more strict you know be a little bit more restrictive perhaps that would be something that I'd work out with the client one on one so um, yeah the, the most of the time we are looking and I think on it in a general sense yeah it's about overall what you're eating and keeping that that good balance it's not easy to do though no that's quite I suppose what's hard about it is that it's not you're not making a sort of black white decision about say say you go you get given some medication from the doctor take this three times a day it's a very simple it's an additional simple thing you do and, uh, and that's that but nutrition is so woven into as we were saying all parts of your life it's an emotional thing comfort eating is much we seem to have stopped talking about that it's the sort of thing people said about shepherd's pie and stuff mm-hmm. but I think a lot of people do eat for mm. to oh, kind of yeah. make themselves happy yeah yeah um, well, food makes you happy. I mean, yeah. you know, it's that whole thing, live to eat, eat to live. A lot of people, they live to eat. I certainly do. Mm. I, I love food. And I, I, I wrote a book last year, and one of the sections, it was a cookbook, and one of the sections in it was comfort food, how to make your ch- chicken pie plug it now. healthy. And, and, you know... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, then, so it's called, the, it's called The Happy Kitchen yes. and in the name, you know. I mean, it was a book um, I wrote with Rachel Kelly. Um, so I was her... Uh, she, she was really the sort of main author and I, I assisted her. So I wrote all the recipes and did a lot of the science in the book, but it was a book about, it's a book about eating for mental health. Because her background so was she'd had... She'd had lots of mental health problems, yeah. yeah. And she'd even been hospitalised, you know, she was in a really, really bad way. And she got on top of um, a lot of those sort of very severe mental health problems and she came to see me, um, gosh, it was a long time ago now, it was, it was a good five, six years before we even wrote the book. Um, which came out two years ago. So she was much better, but still not 100%. And her diet was terrible. You know, she, she does, she'd never been taught to cook. She didn't really, she never really did much cooking. So she would sort of, you know, check a, a quick sort of ready meal would be kind of what she was, what she was going for. And so we, we changed her diet and that took time. You know, I, I was going to say before, like when you're changing someone's diet, it is, it doesn't happen overnight and often it shouldn't happen overnight. It needs a bit longer to sort of gel into your lifestyle and, and it's compliance is not always good. You have to work out with one with someone what really works for them practically. Mm-hmm. And so we did that together and she started feeling a lot better. And we, over the years, became good friends throughout this process and we decided to write books. She was already a published author, a best-selling author, and she'd written books about her recovery, um, other ways that she'd recovered from her mental health problems. And we wrote the book, The Happy Kitchen, and rather than just laying it out with sort of fish dishes, meat fish, sort of uh, meat dishes or breakfasts or, you know, desserts, we laid it out in terms of anxiety, low mood, low energy. Um, We laid it out with things like, you know, hormonal imbalances. So those were the chapters. And what we would do is talk about all the latest science that shows that, that, that links food and mood, for example. Mm-hmm. And then we would put all of that science into 10 recipes in that section. So it was a real practical guide with her story, her experiences, but also the latest research. We backed it up with over 150 pieces of evidence. And we were quite strict as to what went in there, evidence-wise. I mean, there's always more research that's needed on everything, but we really did our best to find things that were really as, we could be as sure as we could be. 
and and it was a great success you know we did really mm. well with it and people absolutely love it it's been published in america and australia as well and um yeah so we had a section what the last section of that book was comfort eating and mm. we had chicken pies and desserts brownies and things like that you know crumbles and and you know but but using healthier ingredients that supported your mood so sort of embracing doing it but doing it in the yeah. best way possible yeah. and i guess not not all the time yeah exactly and it was sort of a guide as to what ingredients you can be using even in your own recipes that might be better than the ones you were using before um and it was very much about the the kitchen being at the heart of the home and taking pleasure chopping up ingredients and smelling things and so trying to make the whole thing pleasurable exactly and just you know i mean they say don't they that gardening and pulling weeds is good for your mood and it's therapeutic cooking can be therapeutic as well this is the approach i like because i think the popular view is that if you've got something wrong with you and nutrition is the answer it's all about denial (laughs) I think that because you know you do see that it's that kind of cliched thing of the guy who's had heart problems and suddenly it's just salad oh he's going to change his whole lifestyle and there's no fun anymore so I think people think any change is going to be just taking away the things I like but Healthy, I think it's this idea that healthy food's nice, okay? Exactly. (laughs) When I find myself eating a lot better, I don't, you feel better once you've finished. It's not like, because I I started off by saying I wanted to be healthy and live longer, of course, but you need short-term rewards. And for me, eating good food, you immediately feel better. It's not like you're thinking, okay, well, you know, I'll feel the benefits from that years to come. You feel... You feel good right away. Yeah. I think there have been lots of brilliant, brilliant cooks and chefs who have made eating healthily more enjoyable. You know, Deliciously Ella, for example, I mean, she's she's vegan, her cookbooks are vegan, but she champions vegetables. She teaches people how to make, you know, people literally used to boil Brussels sprouts for like 15 minutes. And of course, no one wants to eat that. You know, but there are ways you can cook these things. I mean, Jamie Oliver, I mean, he's got vegetarian I, I thought, cookbooks. I grew up thinking, yeah. apologies to my parents, I grew up <laughs> thinking that Brussels sprouts were disgusting yeah. things. I was in my late 20s, like, oh, these, are, yeah. these things exactly. are lovely. But yeah. the combination of school and, and, you know, parents who grew up with rationing, I guess yeah, that's their exactly. excuse. So you yeah. get just everything's yeah. boiled yeah. Yeah. and bitter. Yeah, Cabbage, bitter. the same, bitter yeah. and boiled. I think they used to um, sometimes put bicarbonate of soda in the in the boiling water. My mother-in-law tells me that, that her mother... Just to make us suffer more. Her mother-in-law. <laughs> that's what they did. That's just, In this country, you, that's just how it was. You, you, know? boiled, you boiled everything. Yeah. You know. Yeah, so, so that's changed. Perhaps like a few generations above us would have not had those things and want to sort of... To have to suddenly go to eating Brussels sprouts, whether they taste good or not, is a huge departure from how they've been eating. And it can be, I guess, quite punishing for that. But it, it doesn't need to be. And I think you you learn and you kind of expand your horizons with your cooking or you open your mind to eating more different colours and having vegetables that you wouldn't have had before that you may not have liked as a child. But mm. actually now, as an adult, you actually quite like them because they've been cooked nicely. Mm. Um, you're right, it can seem very punishing. And that's why when I see clients, I don't go in all guns blazing and say, right, we have to cut out everything. Because and unless there's something really, really wrong and that person wants to cut out everything, it's rarely the way to get long-term results. I know you, know, you say that's a different approach for everyone. Are there general things you can say, like, we mentioned sugar, and I want to talk about carbohydrates in general, because some people talk about the good, the good and the bad, whereas other people talk about, well, it's kind of all the same. 
Mm. If you're eating lots of kind of sugar carbs or sugars, it doesn't make that much mm. difference whether it's pasta or sugar or yeah. yeah. Well, because look because pasta, pasta to me, I grew up, pasta is a healthy food. It was yeah. considered a healthy food. Yeah. Now, I don't know, it's still it's still in lots of recipes. People still eat it a lot. Mm. But I don't think most people consider it a healthy food. Is the effect on the body that much different to sugar? Well, we're talking about white carbs here, aren't we? So let's leave the whole grain carbs aside for a minute. If you compare shop-bought bagel, which typically wouldn't, been a health food even when we were growing up no. um, and you looked at the amount of sugar that was in it and actually you compare it to something quite sweet uh, like a chocolate bar it might be that they're actually not that different in terms of the actual so amount without, of that's sugar. With actual sugar yeah. in. it doesn't mean that the bagel has added sugar that they've poured sugar I mean sometimes they do but it's basically what you're looking at is when you think about carbohydrates so think about things like pasta and white bread and potatoes and rice, when you think about things like crackers and cereal, when you break carbohydrates down, their building blocks are sugar. Mm. So they literally are made up of lots of sugar molecules bound together. Mm. And white carbohydrates don't have a huge amount else in there apart from that in terms of their building blocks. Whole grains have other things in there as well, fibre and starches that are better for us. But when you eat a white piece of bread or white pasta, for example, the body is very good at breaking those those sugars down quite quickly mm. and then it will put your blood sugar levels up so that's why white pasta you know with a tomato sauce a big bowl of that actually has a puts your blood sugar levels up quite quickly it won't put them up as quickly as the chocolate bar but it will put them up to still too quickly mm. so in some it's not really any different from sugar from the perspective of what it's doing to your blood sugar levels. So a, it's a slightly slower breakdown. It's a slightly slower breakdown and it is putting your blood sugar levels up. But there might be other colourings and flavourings and, you know, dairy and fatty things in a chocolate bar that you wouldn't find in a bowl of pasta. But it's still not considered to be a healthy balanced meal because it will put your blood sugar levels up too quickly. So if I said to you for example, right, I've decided I'm not going to eat pasta, potatoes, rice, anything like that, bread. Yeah. There's certainly no harm well, that comes to you or do you think you're well, lacking I would say gem in, in, in a general sense that 80% of the time it's good to cut out those white carbohydrates. But I think recently with all of this sort of backlash against sugar and carbs, people are saying, thinking that carbs are therefore all really bad for them and that's not true, definitely not true. Whole grain carbs, the whole grain counterpart of that white pasta is brown pasta mm. and actually there's a lot of benefits to having things like that in modest amounts. Brown rice contains loads of nutrients, rye bread, you know, whole grain cereals, oats, they're hugely nutritious and people need those, not everyone and we don't need as, many, as much of them as, you know, cereal for breakfast, sandwich for lunch. And a, and a risotto for dinner, that would be too much. But some carbohydrates with your breakfast and your lunch and your dinner, 25% of the plate, is actually good for most people mm. who are active and especially for children. I mean, they really can't cut carbs out. You know? No. So the point is that for that 80% of the time, you should be trying to get whole grain carbs into the diet as opposed to white carbohydrates. If it's whole grain, it's all the same stuff as the white pasta, but a bit of extra good stuff. So you've still got the... You've still got the sugars, yeah. yeah. You've still got the sugars, but they because there is fibre 
and, and roughage in there effectively, mm-hmm. you, you get that sugar being released more slowly. So if you had a grain of white rice and a grain of brown rice, they actually have the same amount of sugar in them. Yes. But the whole grain, the husk, the fibre in that, in that grain has not been removed and that means that the sugar gets broken down more slowly. Okay. But what's also interesting is that with the husk and with the fibre also comes a lot of nutrients. So when you strip that back, you lose the selenium, you lose the magnesium, the calcium, and a lot of the other manganese, the other nutrients and minerals that are found in that grain get lost. And it's this old thing of, I remember reading this when I was studying nutrition, when they first invented white bread, it was expensive because they'd had to mill it and they'd had to refine mm. it and create this bread. And it was seen as the thing that wealthy people had because it was more expensive, but it was also, it didn't go off as quickly. It lasted on the shelves longer. So like old brown bread went stale very quickly. Right. And it was considered that if you had that, you then would have to either throw it away or you'd be eating stale bread the next day. The reason it went stale was because of the minerals in there sped up oxidation basically and made right. it. Right, so the go good off. the good stuff made it go off. Yeah. So they yeah. took it out. <laughs> they took it out, ruined people's health for generations <laughs> just because they just because yeah. they could. Yeah. And and but it didn't go off. As quickly, I mean, yeah. the process still went off. But so, so there's no real place, if you're making the right choice, there's no real place for white pasta when you can have something that's Yeah, I mean, if lovely. you go to Italy and it's your holiday or it's some, you know, you go to a lovely restaurant where the pasta's cooked fresh, then, I mean, you know, I'm going to say eat it. But for the most part, yes, we should be choosing whole grains. And there are huge health benefits to doing that. And I don't think that everyone needs to give those things up. And that's the danger, I think, at the moment of all these low-carb diets and extreme opinions that people are giving all of that up. The other thing I would say is, without wanting to make this too confusing, is that it's also the amount. Yes. So if you have a huge bowl of brown rice, that's also not great either. So you want want to have more like 25% of your plate. Yeah. I hope that kind of makes sense. Yeah, yeah, it does. <laughs> I suppose it's it's looking at these things that are kind of part of our culture that maybe shouldn't be. I mean, the sandwich lunch yeah. is one. You know, it's such a thing that people do. It's such a normal thing yeah. to do for yeah, lunch. Of course. You have a sandwich. Yeah. Some people are, people who sort of talk about, oh, I have a sandwich at my desk, as, a, yeah. as though that's the only option. Yeah. And quite often, <laughs> you know, the, the sub, you get a massive bit of bread, depending on what, option you've gone for with a small yeah. amount of filling yeah. so even if you've got the healthy bread option mm. most of that the most vast of that majority of your bread if it is bread and the vast yeah. majority of that bread is the not good stuff so yeah, yeah so not so good not and there so are good. you know there are companies that that's their business model selling yeah. selling great big and it's not and it's perfectly socially acceptable to have that for your lunch yeah and because we don't like to shame each other I mean, I saw a man in my canteen once. Now, again, I have no—I'm not an expert, but I was standing behind him, and he had he had really bad psoriasis on his neck, mm. and his lunch, which he was—he was a man in his fifties, I would say. Yeah. And his lunch consisted—he had one hand that had um, a plate of chips, and the other hand had a plate of white pasta with no sauce even yeah and i was thinking again you don't need an expert but you're making some terrible choices for your yeah yeah and like yeah but you know you you, people don't know how to make changes necessarily but you know and this was this was a man in a suit with a you know with a a, presumably some sort of level of job and education Mm. but i know we shouldn't all be pointing and shaming each other but Mm. there are certain things people do that 
you think, well, I don't know, <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe it's worth pointing this, out. The thing is, this is where it, it becomes dangerous to say to people, just eat a balanced diet. Mm. So I think a lot of, and I, I'm just going to say, I think a lot of doctors say to people, just eat a balanced diet. And your definition of balance is very, that Jack chap's definition of balance is very different to what mine would be as a nutritionist. Now I'm extreme, and maybe he was extreme as well. But a lot of people, people don't know what balance means, no. and so they'll think that that big sandwich because it's got a bit of lettuce in mm. and a bit of tomato that that's that's balance. Yeah. Whereas yeah. if that was every meal, your diet would be yeah. horrendous. And who's to say it's not every meal? You know, if yeah. it's that meal. I don't know what you're having for your dinner or your breakfast, yeah, but yeah. it's it's likely to be just as ill-informed a choice of what yeah. to eat. The problem is as well, once you get onto the sort of carby breakfast, lunch, dinner bandwagon, so that, that lunch, for example, even if you just had the white sub with a few things inside, you're likely to be hungry again in a couple of hours, mm. three hours, say. And then you're going to probably choose something that's quite sweet again because your blood sugar's dropped. Mm. And that's when you're then reaching out for a biscuit and a cup of tea. Or, in fact, I'm, not, I'm gonna be healthy, I'm not gonna have the biscuit, I'm gonna have a piece of fruit. But actually also, again, too much sugar, blood sugar mm. going up again, and then you're dropping. And then of course at dinner, you're going to crave those kinds of foods again. So it's a real sort of cycle that you get on. And breaking that cycle is actually not that difficult. But once you break it, you realize actually how often you were eating and how much sugar it was making you eat, driving that cycle. Mm. And the, the, the thing that comes with that as well is that when you eat, when you think about that, that typical sandwich, it would be much better if it was a variety of other things because with the variety comes other nutrients. Mm -hmm. So in that piece of white bread, there's not really a huge amount of nutrition. In that one couple of pieces of lettuce, there isn't much either. And so what, are you, what I'm trying to say is, what are you missing out on? Mm. Because there's so much other stuff that you really need, that your body needs, vitamins and minerals, that you're, you can become deficient in if you're just relying on that kind of carby breakfast, lunch and dinner. So with variety comes comes feeling fuller for longer, but also comes all these vitamins and minerals. Mm. How is the medical profession changing in terms of its view of nutrition? Are they embracing? Like I mean, difficult for me to say because I'm, I'm not a doctor, I'm not you know, in the medical profession, but from what I've witnessed, I would say that there have been huge improvements in the last year. There have been some amazing doctors. Dr. Chatterjee, I don't know whether you've heard of him, he's written a book, there's a guy called, there's another guy who's written a book called The Doctor's Kitchen, and they are actual doctors working oh, Dr. in, Rupi, isn't yeah, Dr. Yeah, Rupi, working in A&E, um, Dr. Rupi works in A&E, they're doctors who are, have, have GPs in medical practice who are talking about nutrition quite openly and being quite brave actually, because I, the, a lot of people get backlash for this kind of thing, because there is, there is this perception that there isn't enough evidence to back up what they're saying. Mm. So they have actually gone out on a limb and are getting backlash for it in their profession. But they're saying, look, actually, we really believe a lot of these ailments that people are coming to see us with could be resolved with simple, straightforward diet, sleep, meditation or, and exercise. And that's, that's what, you know, so I would say that people like that are making waves and that's really exciting. Well, that's good if really they're moving exciting. on, because I think they would always try and find doctor ways to fix things. Yeah. Yeah. And my understanding is that talking to people, most of them who graduated 20 plus years ago, but you could do a medical degree and your nutritional training will be a course. Someone will come in for an afternoon and mm. literally in the five or six years you're there. Yeah, you apparently get five five hours or something, or 10 hours of training throughout the whole. Yeah, so it's almost it's like yeah. it's not their business. And for, for people who, they're only, a lot of people, they're only 
advice, any health advice they'll get from their GP. Now that's yeah. the only and well stuff they look up on the internet now, I guess. But yeah, I think you know a lot of doctors don't feel equipped to talk about nutrition, mm. which is well, why they don't. They and understandably, you know. yeah, they 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 don't they don't feel confident about talking about that, and that's that's part of the problem. My opinion on it is generally that there is so much evidence and research being done all the time about nutrition and how it impacts on our health that it's undeniable. You know, yes, more research is needed in most areas, but that's the case for everything. You know, I think people need to be careful about where they're looking for their advice. They need to speak to experts who really know and who've done proper qualifications. But as time goes by, more and more of this stuff is going to filter into the public domain because it's just undeniable. Mm. Well, maybe, you know, I, actually I shouldn't use words like undeniable, but there is, you know, there is so much evidence pointing in that direction. And that's why the, the industry continues to grow. Mm. You know, I don't see how we can go back from, from it, really. No. Well, there's two more things I need to ask you. We've got about five minutes left, I think. First of all, about your supplement company. You've yeah. launched how long ago now? Yeah, so we launched, um, so it's, it's called Equi, Equi London. Um, E-Q-U-I. E-Q-U-I London.com. London. Yeah. Um, and we launched about two years ago. And it's interesting, it sort of follows on from that conversation because a lot of people say to me, do we need supplements, you know? And um, shouldn't we get, be getting everything we need from our diet? And of course the answer is yes, in theory we should be. But that lady who was working in office, getting up at five to do a workout, working all day, coming home um, super late or entertaining clients in the evening, having to travel for work, potentially cooking for children, um, grabbing a sandwich on the go because that's all they can get or they're having whatever is given to them in meetings. They're not always managing to get everything in nutrient-wise that they need, the vitamins and minerals that they need. And supplements can be very useful for those people. We're not just a vitamin company. We don't just sell vitamins. We have products that are targeted at, say, skin or energy or weight loss, um, or we have a product for, for fertility and pregnancy as well. And we combine lots of different other things in as well. So we use superfoods, for example, which are nature's multivitamins, things like moringa, some of the most nutrient dense things on the planet. You only need a little bit of that to get a lot of goodness. Yeah. Um, we combine things like probiotics, you know, good bacteria. We combine a lot of gut support. We use things like turmeric. Um, and we also add in um, medicinal mushrooms, Ayurvedic herbs, and other things that that science shows can really help to balance and nourish and support a, a body that's being overworked, whatever mm. in whatever way that might be. And we get amazing results with them. Those are you know, brilliant for people that don't always manage to eat well and who, I think if you go into, you would know this, working in an office, working in a big office, you, how many people on the floor are not feeling well? They're not, they're, not un, they're not about to die or keel over or they don't need to take time off work, but they're, they might have low energy, they might get headaches. They might find that their skin is bad. They might get terrible PMS if they're a woman, or you know, they, all these things. Are, but we put up with them. We, mm. we we consider them to be normal, but they're not. They, we shouldn't be feeling like that. Yeah, I think that's true. We do <coughs> accept a feeling of a bit being a yeah. bit tired, and I don't know. But you you yeah. see people walking around, and they're not. Um, the reason I call this podcast "Healthy Beast" is because mm -hmm. I think we we're forgetting that we're animals you know and you and if you look at people's animals going around they don't they don't look like they're operating at full strength a lot yeah. of them they're kind of slight this is slightly crushed mm, mm. look that people have yeah, yeah. i just think it's I, i'm always amazed at what people are willing to put up with um mm. and and just what they what they sort of just grim, grin and bear it but actually 
we don't need to feel like that and a lot of people that come to see me and, and other nutritionists as well or people that make make an effort to change their diet they change things and they realize how bad they were feeling before mm. and i set the company up with rosie my old friend and now business partner and she she was that person you know she was actually eating quite well but she was working all hours gods could send and and, and had acne and she mm. came we, we had a chat and I gave her some supplements we changed a few things with her diet and her skin improved and that's why we came we, we developed the product because there's nothing out there on the market that really does that in the supplement business there seems to be this um, trend for targeting men and women differently mm. do, do men and women have very could you talk about everyone being before we talk about everyone being individual and having individual needs yeah. are there specific differences between men and women in terms of what they need? there are yes there are and i think i think the main thing would be women uh having babies potentially that would that would they would definitely need other things you know i often think about a man who eats sort of typical diet in england probably doesn't need extra iron um they're eating you know some red meat uh, but women are more at risk of lo- ha- having iron deficiency because mm. they're having children and so on. Um, so to make it personal, so, for a man like me in my 40s, <laughs> is there anything particularly that I need to be um, thinking about? I mean, I guess I'd want to ask you a few questions like how often you're exercising, are you getting enough sleep? But I would say that for the most part, we there's a lot of marketing that goes into, you know, yes. this is for men, this is for women. You know, we This know is what that, I'm wondering, yeah, you know, is there it... There is a lot of marketing that goes into that. And generally, I would say probably nothing sort of unless I know, knew you sort of in, in really lots of detail I knew exactly what you wanted to achieve and you say you were going to the gym and you were doing lots of weights for example this is a huge generalization you might need to have more magnesium yeah for example if your energy levels were low and you were busy not sleeping every night because you have got children waking up you might need more B vitamins but so would a woman to mm. be honest so yes there are some things that men and women need more of but it, it, be careful of the sort of marketing behind yes. that because it often they're needing similar things. Okay, one final thing. We talked about not wanting to demonise things, but I can't help it. It's the, it's the, it's the background. Are there certain, like, for example, is any good to come from fruit juice? Um, generally, no. Generally, no. Can you take um, out the generally, the, or is it just... I, I think that the benefits that come from fruit juice, for example, freshly squeezed orange juice is a great source of vitamin C. But the problem is that with that, you get all the sugar. You are literally taking all the fibre out and you are just delivering the sugary, watery flavour that you get from mm. oranges. And there, are, there is vitamin C in there. But, the, yeah, the, the, unfortunately, the effect of that sugar will be quite significant on the body. Mm. There are benefits to having more vegetable-based juices, which is not really what you want to hear, I'm sure. Mm. But um, I don't see that there's a huge problem with a small glass of freshly squeezed orange juice on the weekend. But drinking loads of juice, not not so good. You've got to be careful about that kind of thing. Well, that's great. We're <laughs> out of time, I think. Well, thanks very much. It's really interesting to talk to you. My pleasure. Yeah, hopefully we've busted a few myths. Yes, yeah, I hope so. Alice McIntosh, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much to Alice McIntosh, who can be found at... AliceMacintosh.com and her supplements company is EquiLondon.com E-Q-U-I London.com This was a Healthy Beast. I'm Richard Holt. Thank you very much. You can see my new Instagram page at Healthy Beast Podcast. Is that right? I think so. Something like that anyway. Yeah, Healthy Beast Podcast. About two pictures on there but adding to it from now. Thank you very much. Bye. Bye.